Well, good morning, you guys. Uh, if you have a Bible, let's turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. We're going to be uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And I want to start off by, by sharing uh, at least some partial stories with you guys, and then we're going to come back and revisit some of these stories later. But I'm hoping that you'll, you'll pick up on uh, a key commonality between these stories. And this is going to sound weird because I'm only telling you part of the story, so we're going to come back. But uh, it goes like this. So there was a 61-year-old woman uh, from Delaware. She was given multiple medicines and synchronized shocks but never regained a pulse, and she happened to be declared dead. There was a 66-year-old man at one point who suffered from a suspected abdominal aneurysm during treatment for his condition. He suffered cardiac arrest, and he received chest compressions and defibrillation shocks for 17 minutes. Vital signs did not return. The patient was declared dead, and resuscitation efforts ended. There was a 27-year-old man in the United Kingdom who went into cardiac arrest after overdosing on heroin and cocaine. After 25 minutes of resuscitation efforts, the patient was declared dead. Are you seeing some commonality here so far? There was an 18-year-old woman in Missouri who attempted suicide by overdosing on sleeping medications. Resuscitation was attempted but failed, and she also was declared dead. There was a 45-year-old woman in Columbia who was pronounced dead, and there were no vital signs showing that she was alive. There was a 65-year-old man in Malaysia uh, who was also pronounced dead when vital signs on the monitor flatlined. And finally, there was a 49-year-old woman at Edinburgh Royal Infirmary. Same thing, flatlined, and she was pronounced dead. Now, we'll come back in a moment and revisit some of these stories. But you might ask, why, why am I starting off a sermon telling you about a bunch of people that died? Well, there, there's a purpose to this. And I want to look at Ephesians chapter 2, just the first three verses right now, and it says this. It says that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now we'll pause there for a moment. That's, that's bad news. That's really bad news. And we're not stopping here. We're going to continue on and we're going to hear some good news in a moment. But for now, this is, this is bad news. And the reason that this is bad news is because this is a condemnation of all of humanity that tells us, Paul tells us, that we were dead in our trespasses in our sins. And for those of you who are here today that proclaim faith in Christ, this, this may not be true of you today, but it was true of you at one point in your life. And if you're here today and you're not following Christ, this is true of you right now. Paul tells us that this is the pattern of the world, that, that the world is on a crash course with death, apart from knowing Christ. He tells us that the desires of our body and the, the passions of our flesh, the desires of our mind, that we have a bent towards sin. And again, that, that's not good news. And, and I've said before that the good news isn't that good if the bad news isn't that bad. And the bad news is really bad which is what makes the good news so good. You and I were dead in our sins. We come into this world spiritually dead, enemies of God. No one is indifferent towards God, none of us. Death is the course of the world. Disobedience is the passion of our flesh, the desire of our mind and our body. 
And it's because of our disobedience that we're subject to the wrath of a holy God, the just wrath of a holy God. God would not be holy if there were no punishment for sin. God is holy, therefore there is a consequence for our sin. And in humanity we stand condemned before a holy God because of our unrighteousness and because of our bent towards sin. A moment ago I said that the, the good news isn't that good if the bad news isn't that bad. Well, let's let's talk about the good news. And I'm going to kind of revisit these stories. So this 61-year-old woman from Delaware who was given multiple medicines and synchronized shocks and she never regained a pulse, she was declared dead, but she was discovered in the morgue to be alive and breathing. She sued the medical center where it happened for damages due to physical and neurological problems stemming from the event. The 66-year-old man who suffered from a suspected abdominal aneurysm, after his vital signs didn't return, he was declared dead. Uh, Ten minutes later, the surgeon felt a pulse, and the aneurysm was successfully treated, and the patient fully recovered with no lasting physical or neurological problems. The 27-year-old man in the UK who suffered cardiac arrest after a heroin and cocaine overdose After 25 minutes of resuscitation efforts and being declared dead, he also came back to life. A nurse noticed a rhythm on the heart monitor sometime later, and they resumed resuscitation efforts, and he recovered fully. The 18-year-old woman in Missouri who attempted suicide by overdosing on sleeping medications, after she was declared dead, seven minutes later, her heart started beating and she started breathing on her own, even though she was comatose. Eventually, she regained consciousness after about five days and was oblivious to what had happened. The 45-year-old woman in Colombia who was pronounced dead after there were no vital signs on the monitor was discovered by a funeral worker, and she, he noticed that the woman was moving and alerted his coworkers that the woman should go back to the hospital. The 65-year-old man in Malaysia who came back to life after two and a half hours of being declared dead. The 49-year-old woman at Edinburgh Royal Infirmary came back to life after being declared dead for 45 minutes. Now, this is pretty rare that this happens, but in the medical community, they have a name for this phenomenon. It's called the Lazarus Syndrome. Now, I don't know how many of you know the story of Lazarus in the Bible, but Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Jesus was out doing his thing one day, Uh, And he got word that his friend, Lazarus, had died. And it took Jesus a few days to get there. Um, Back then, they couldn't just hop in the car and and drive a great distance. And so it took Jesus a few days to get there. But when he showed up on scene, uh, as you might imagine, friends and family were grieving the death of Lazarus. Jesus told his disciples that, his intention was to resurrect Lazarus and his disciples didn't believe him or maybe they didn't understand at that moment that that was even possible. But when Jesus arrives on the scene, he shows up and he sees grieving people. And in the shortest verse in the Bible, I don't know if you know it, John eleven thirty five, it says that Jesus wept. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Jesus telling his disciples that they were going there so that he could call Lazarus out of the grave shows up and he sees these grieving people and he weeps. Why why would Jesus cry? Why would he weep if he knew what was about to happen? I think the reason that Jesus wept 
is because he saw all these people and he saw them in their grief and he had compassion upon grieving people. But more than that, I think that Jesus looked upon this crowd and even though Lazarus was in the grave and he was horizontal and everybody else, they they were vertical, they were upright, they were breathing. For, For those that don't follow Christ, there's not a whole lot of difference between Lazarus and the people. Lazarus is physically dead, but Jesus is looking upon a multitude of people who were spiritually dead in that moment. And and I think that's why Jesus grieved, more so than just having compassion upon people who lost a friend or lost a family member. And in an incredible moment, Jesus stands in front of the tomb and he calls Lazarus to come out. Can, Can you imagine this happening? Like, this is unprecedented. Have you ever seen this at a cemetery? Someone standing over a grave telling somebody to get out? Like, this doesn't happen. This is a bold move on the part of Jesus. And if you know the story, you know what happened. Lazarus came out of the grave. Jesus commanded death. And he called Lazarus back to life. And, of course, people celebrated the fact that they regained their friend and their brother. So this phenomenon of these people coming back to life, like I said, while rare, the medical community calls it the Lazarus Syndrome. One doctor, speaking of the Lazarus Syndrome, had this to say. He said, perhaps it's supreme hubris or arrogance on our part to presume that we can reliably distinguish the reversible from the irreversible or the salvageable from the non-salvageable. I happen to think God might agree with that statement. I don't know who this doctor was. It was a quote that I found that didn't have a name attributed to it. Don't know if the guy was a, a Christian or not. But, but I think he's saying something really profound here that God would happen to agree with. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7 says that God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. Two of the most powerful words in, in my mind in all of Scripture are found here, but God. Right? Here, here's the bad news. The, the bad news is that, that you, as someone who's not a follower of Christ, is on a crash course with death. You're on a crash course to face the wrath of a holy God. And that's bad. But because God is rich in mercy and because He's great in His love towards us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, even though this is true, he made us alive together with Christ. The bad news isn't that bad, or the good news isn't that good if the bad news isn't that bad. This is is really good news, isn't it? That, That we have a problem that we can't fix on our own. We can't fix the fact that that we stand unrighteous before a holy God. We can't we can't do that. But God, God can fix that. God is the one who has made us alive together in Christ. We were dead because of our sin. And like he stood in front of the grave and he commanded death and he called Lazarus out of the grave, he stands in front of us today calling us from spiritual death to spiritual life. He's not asking us to do anything. He's not asking us to do anything to earn it. He hasn't required us up to this point to do anything that would cause us even to deserve it. Yet he stands and he calls. Nothing is irreversible for God. Nothing is unsalvageable for the God that created the universe. 
Is that not good news to us today? It's the greatest news ever. We we throw out the word gospel a lot here. And it's just a, it's a fancy word that means good news. Good news. The, the proclamation of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God has done for you in Christ what you could and would never do for yourself. Namely, that he's redeemed you from your sin. He's called you from spiritual death into spiritual life. And he's commanded death over you. You and I can't command death. If we're lying in the grave like Lazarus, imagine Lazarus was powerless to do anything. He, He was in a state, in a condition where he could do nothing. Except lay horizontal in a tomb carved out of the earth. And it required Jesus to command him to command death, to command him from death to life. The good news isn't that good if the bad news isn't that bad. The good news, it's the best news there is, the best news in the world. In verse 5 of Ephesians chapter 2, it goes on to say that by grace you have been saved. And raised, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So as Paul goes on, it's like the good news keeps getting better and better. If it's not good enough news that he has called us from death to life when we were powerless to do anything ourselves, if that's all the good news was, it would be great. But that's not all the good news is. It goes on to say that it's by grace that we've been saved. We've been the recipients of unmerited favor. Grace by its nature is undeserved. Grace by its nature is unmerited. If we could deserve it, if we could earn it, if we could do something to achieve it, it wouldn't be grace. And it's by grace that we've been saved, by God's unmerited, unearnable, undeserved favor that we have been saved. And like Lazarus, he's raised us up with him. And not only has he raised us up, but he's seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And if that's not all there is, that that in the coming ages that God would show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Think about this. We're we're finite beings, and and as finite beings, we can't fully wrap our mind around the infinite. We can measure a lot of things in the world today. It it wasn't that long ago that that a million dollars was a lot of money. Now a million dollars isn't that much money. I mean, it's a lot of money, don't get me wrong, but, but we have like, our national budget is in the trillions. Right? That, that's a big number, right? When, when we have scientists that, that measure distances in outer space, it, it's unreal how vast the universe is. And we, we, we can't measure all of it, but we can measure some of it, and the numbers get real big real quick. And Paul tells us that, that we can't even begin to measure the riches of God's grace. We can't begin to measure the depth of his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The the infinite, the finite can't fully grasp the infinite. And then Paul reminds us once again that it's by grace that we have been saved through faith. 
And know this, that, that the Bible tells us that faith, it's a gift from God. Faith isn't even, that's not even our doing. I didn't come to a point in my life and you didn't come to a point in your life where you just believed hard enough or you believed strong enough where all of this made sense. The Bible tells us that our faith is a gift from God, that even God gives us faith. God gives us the ability to believe because he opens our eyes and he reveals himself to us. So so you don't even get to take credit for that. You don't get to take credit for having enough mental fortitude to to ascend to a belief. That that's God's doing in you. There's a scene in John chapter six where Jesus fed a whole bunch of people with just a little bit of food. Maybe you know the story. <clears throat> people began to question him and they, they began to follow him and on the heels of this great miracle, this crowd of people, this fickle crowd of people asked Jesus, Hey Jesus, give us a sign. He just did this miracle, right? And and on the heels of it, they said, give us a sign. To make a long story short, Jesus goes on to tell him, you you want to see a sign? Here's your sign. The fact that you believe, that's the work of God. The fact that you believe is a miracle beyond miracles that God has done in you and for you. And that's part of God's grace. Part of his unmerited favor to us is that he puts faith in us. That's ours to practice and ours to exercise. So Paul reminds us, this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. In other words, we can't be good enough. We can't be smart enough. We can't believe strongly enough or hard enough. And this is by God's design so that none of us can boast. None of us can stand up in front of the other and say, my faith is awesome. We we can't do that. We can't stand up in front of one another and say, well, I, I believe harder than you do. I believe more than you do because it's all the work of God in us and it's his unmerited favor towards us. So not only, not only has God called us from spiritual death to spiritual life, but he's placed faith in us and given us the ability to believe all as an act of kindness. And it's God's desire that he would spend eternity showing us his riches and showing us his kindness. We can't fathom eternity. Like we can think from this point forward about eternity and think, man, that's a long time. That's about as much as we can fathom eternity. But, but it's, it's forever from this point forward. Not only from this point forward, but eternity is from this point backwards forever as well. Right? Does that not blow your mind? We, we couldn't do this if we tried. And we do try. Sometimes we try. Sometimes we try real hard. But it's got to be the work of God in us that does this. Paul goes on to say in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2 that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. So the bad news, we're all, all of humanity is on a crash course with death. The good news is that God is standing as he was standing in front of the grave with Lazarus, calling us out, calling us from death to life. And the good news gets better that, that not only in that moment or this moment, but God would desire to spend eternity pouring out his riches, showing us his kindness in Christ Jesus. But for today, 
we're reminded by Paul that he has prepared for us good works that we should walk in them. And he's prepared these works beforehand. Well, what is Paul talking about before what? Well, Paul's talking about when he says that he's prepared these works beforehand. He's talking about before the foundations of the earth were laid. So in eternity past, that there was a point where God had created good works for you and for me and for all who would call upon the name of Christ so that we would walk in them. And we're created for this. We're created to do good works. Because we are the workmanship of Christ. We're we're formed by Him. The Bible tells us that it's in Him that we have our being. It's because of Him that we can breathe. It's because of Him that we can wake up in the morning and all of our organs function the way they're meant to function and that we can go out into the world and be representatives of Christ. Whether we go to work, whether, whether we're with family, with friends, with neighbors, partaking in hobbies, whatever it is, that, that we are His workmanship created for good works, which God prepared for us in eternity past. And so what this means is that we're free. We're free to do good for others because of what God has done for us. When, when the term Christian first appeared in the Bible, in the book of Acts, it really was more of a of a facetious name to call Christians. It means little Christs. And when they first called people Christians, it was like, oh, those Christians, those little Christs. It wasn't necessarily a term of endearment. But as little Christs, if this is true of us, then we ought to reflect the big Christ, right? If we're little Christs, then we ought to look something like the Christ. And we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus did a lot of good things for people. And not just for the sake of doing good, Jesus did a lot of good things for people in order that they would see who he is, in order that they would come to him, in order that they would receive the call from death to life. And so as little Christ, we ought to spend our lives in a similar manner, that as we go out into the world engaging in these good works that God has prepared for us in eternity past, It's all for the purpose of showing people who Christ is and what Christ has done. We can go out into the world and do all kinds of good things. We can feed people. We can clothe people. Throughout history, the the church has done those things and continues to do things like it. We can engage in social justice. And and we ought to, to some degree, engage in those kinds of things. But, But what are we doing? Are we just trying to make the world a better place? No. The Bible tells us that, that that the world's on a downhill slide. And it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets any better. But we can go out into the world and we can do good works and we can feed people and we can clothe people and we can help. We can lead into the issues of our day as Christians for the purpose of showing people who Christ is and what he's done. And the fact that God had prepared these good works for us in eternity past means that this is our mission. This is our purpose in existence. This is part of the purpose for the human to exist upon the earth. I read a book years ago that posed the question, why is it that when somebody comes to faith in Christ that that they don't just automatically get zapped to heaven? You ever thought about that? Why do we as Christians exist on the earth? 
Because God has a plan for the existence of Christians on earth, and it's to go out into the world and do these things that he's prepared for us in eternity past. So that in those things, Christ can reveal himself to more and more people so that there's an opportunity for more and more people to be called from death to life. And so if you're here today and and you are a Christian, then you're created to be a conduit of God's grace to the world. Have you ever thought about yourself as a conduit of God's grace to the world? There's something that we miss in the message of the gospel when when it's about us. The gospel is not about me, it's not about you. John Piper, a well-known author and pastor, talks about what, what, is, what is the end of the gospel? Is the end of the gospel the fact that you and I get, get salvation? That's not the end of the gospel. If that were the end of the gospel, then it would be about me and it would be about you. But Piper talks about the fact that the end of the gospel is that that God is glorified in the salvation of sinners. And so there's a sense in which we would say your salvation and my salvation is maybe secondary. What's primary is the work of God and the glory of God in the saving of sinners. And I hope that makes sense. And so the end of the gospel, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God and who he is and what he's done for us and his grace poured out to us. His immeasurable grace poured out to us for all of eternity. Is that not good news? Like the good news just keeps getting better and better, doesn't it? And so what does all this mean to us today? If all of these things are true, if the bad news is really that bad, and if the good news is really that good, and I'll tell you, the bad news really is that bad, and the good news really is that good, then what? What does that mean when you walk out the door and you you step into the world, when you go out there? What does that mean when the alarm goes off tomorrow morning and you get up and you go to work? Or when you get up to engage with your neighbors or you get up and do your work around the house or or you go engage in whatever hobbies you might have, what what does all this mean? But my challenge to us today is that that we would consider the fact that, that by design we are conduits of God's grace to the world. And my challenge to us is to consider day by day, even moment by moment, How is it that I can put on display in the way that I live the grace of God to those around me? God's plan is not necessarily for us to to cram the church with just as many people as we can so that they can hear the gospel. We endeavor to do that. But but God's plan, we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is that those who have been reconciled to God those who have been called from death to life have been given the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God's primary plan for showing the world who Christ is is through all of you as you go out there and as you do what you do to be conduits of His grace so that other people can be called from death to life just like you have. And so again, I would ask us to consider how we can do that day by day and even moment by moment as we're out of the world 
It's no mistake if you're a Christian that, that you have the job that you have. You may not like your job. You, you may not be happy there. But if you're a Christian, because God is sovereign, and that's another sermon for another day, but because God is sovereign overall, it's no mistake that you work where you work. It's no mistake that you live where you live. It's no mistake that you have the neighbors that you have. It's no mistake that you have the family that you have. And as God is calling the world from death to life, it's his primary plan that he uses you and I to be conduits of that message, conduits of his grace to the world. And the end result of that is is hopefully we get more people in the door because of that. Right? But, but if you look in the Bible, like evangelism is not, it's not a program of the church. Particularly when you look in the book of Acts, you see that, that the people were very engaged in evangelism. And you know what? You also see that, that at times it was pretty hard to do that because it's not a popular message in the world. <clears throat> I read a few weeks back in the United Kingdom a court ruling actually came down to declare the Bible as hate speech. This was maybe about a month ago. This message that we have, calling people from life to death, the truth of the gospel, like it's it's not a popular message. It's not always going to be received well. Matter of fact, it might be met with hostility. But that doesn't change the fact that, that we are all created to be conduits of God's grace. So that, like the physical picture that we have with Lazarus, is that we can see people come from death to life as they hear and respond to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I would like to pray for us this morning that we would, as as a church collectively, but also as individuals, that we would understand our role as being conduits of God's grace, and that we would consider day by day and even moment by moment as we're out there, how we can put on display the grace of Jesus Christ so that other people would come to know him. So let me pray for us in that regard. Father, this morning we're thankful. We're thankful that that the good news really is that good, that the message of the gospel doesn't end with just the bad news. Father, we're thankful that you can overcome death, physical death, spiritual death. We're thankful that you are the God of life. You're the author of life. You're the commander of life. And so we would pray this morning together that you would help us to understand each of us, our role as conduits of your grace. Pray that you would help us to put on display in the words that we say and in the lives that we live the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have done for us what we could and would never do for ourselves that you have called us from death to life, that you would help us to be conduits of that message. Father, we pray like in the early days of the church that we would see often people coming to faith in Christ as a result of what we do both here and in Lapine. Pray that our, our gatherings and our fellowshipping together, that, that it wouldn't become self-centered, but that we would remember uh, that you have called us, that you have designed us, that you've created us with the purpose of taking the message of the gospel out into the world so that others can be called to life as well. And so, Father, help us to do what doesn't come naturally to us. Help us to do what doesn't always come easily to us. 
Help us to do what only you can do in us and through us, and that is to be conduits of your grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.